Welcome to Calvary Chapel Sebastian Podcast. We hope that you're blessed by this message. Welcome, everybody. I want to welcome you here tonight, everybody joining us. And if you're on our podcast channel, um, we're glad that you're here. Um, tonight, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 17. And to give you a little bit of a strip description about what's going on, is the Israelites are moving towards Mount Sinai. And they've had this pillar of cloud and the fire with them, which showed God's presence to them. And they're on this journey. They're hitting all these different stops along the way. So tonight, we're going to see about another one. Last week, we saw how God prepared the hearts of the Israelites by humbling them, letting them hunger, feeding them generously, and then by teaching them. And that's what God was telling them, that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So tonight, as we start, we'll be in chapter 17. But I want to ask you guys a question. How many of you have ever gone on a long trip and you've drove for how many miles and you're driving and you're getting hungry and you're getting thirsty and you got other things going on, maybe you need to use the facilities, right? So not only you're doing this, so now you stop someplace, you get there, you run out, you take care of it, and then you get there and all of a sudden the vending machines are empty, the drinking fountain is broke, No food, no water along that trip. Well, that's what's happened to the Israelites right now. As they go into uh, Rephidim, they're going to be there and there's no water for them at all. So I just wanted you to kind of imagine how that is because if you've ever done that, you know what that is. When you get someplace and you're really thirsty and there's nothing there for you to drink. So if you would, open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 17, and we will start there. And it says this, The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded them. They camped at Rephidim, but there there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test. But the people were thirsty for water. And then they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? (coughs) Then Moses cried out to the Lord and said, what am I to do with these people? They are already, they're almost ready to stone me. So, at this point, we're going to look at this. They've been moving along. Everything is going very well. God has been providing for them. Remember, they've had this cloud during the day and the fire at night, which showed God's presence with them all the time. But they're still questioning this. They're questioning whether God is with them. And sometimes I think we do that as well, don't we? But this area was very dry, And it was very barren. There was no water. And sometimes we feel like God is not with us in difficult situations. I know that I do. But there was no water. This was going to be a great trial for the Israelites. But 
Because God is always with us, his word tells us this in Psalms 23, 4. It says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, and that's where they probably felt like they were at, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. God was still with them and he's with us today. Our Lord was directing the Israelites into this trying situation. Sometimes he directs us towards these situations, and I believe for one reason is growth. He directs us there so we can grow. And these trials, they bring us to a point where it's a trial of our faith. When we get to this point, it's a trial of our faith because only God can bring us through it. And that's what this is. And scripture says also in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, it says this, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you can imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth's, so my ways are higher than yours and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. See, we can't even imagine what God's thinking and why he's bringing us to these situations. But life is more than getting somewhere. It's more than just the destination because that's what they're looking at. They're looking at the destination, where we're going to get to. But God is looking at our hearts. We're looking at our destination or our comforts. God is looking at our heart. God is looking at this journey of our hearts with him. It's about a journey of growth and faith. It's about a heart check. We all need to check our hearts. And these people had a long way to go on their journey before they would arrive at their destination and become a godly nation. It seems like the Hebrew people were always kind of foolish, a little fickle, but they were definitely non-trusting. And I, don't think, I believe they were a people of little faith. What about all the miracles that there were there, the plagues, all the things, this great rescue from Egypt, the parting of the Red Sea? And what about when they were being fed, right? The chicken and waffles, right? They're getting fed chicken and waffles. They're getting food each and every day. God was providing for them. And you would think that they would never question God's faithfulness in meeting their needs. But they doubted. And not only did they doubt, they complained. And they complained loudly. They were indifferent to God's kindness and his faithfulness to them. They had such unbelief in all the provisions that he's been giving them that they were testing him and they were challenging whether he was even with them. And for me tonight, I have to check myself on that one. I have to look at myself because I've cried out to God and asked for reassurance in situations many times. I don't know if you have, but I definitely have. I remember the story when we first moved down here. My kids had graduated. Um, we took all our money out of savings. We sold everything, and we came down to Florida. We only had a couple personal items and some clothes, and we moved here. I didn't have a job. I had a very small house. I didn't have anything in it. And on the weekends, we went garage sailing to fill that house up with whatever we could get. And it took a while to get a job. 
But for me, what I did was I complained. I wanted to go back up north. I kept on telling Cindy, I want to go back. I want to go back up. And this was bringing out the worst in me. And sometimes trying times can do that to us, can't they? They can bring out the worst. Because I had a wilderness experience in Palm Bay. Okay? I was in Palm Bay. That's a wilderness experience. But yet God supplied every one of our needs. Every one of them. We never missed a house payment. Now after 22 years, God has blessed us in so many ways. We have our grandchildren living here with us. We live in a great community here with you all here in Sebastian. And we are so blessed. God has been so faithful. But I must confess that I was a doubter. And sometimes I still am. When things don't go the way I want them to go, when money gets tough, I find myself murmuring. My job's not going right, or my health isn't where I want it to be, I find myself murmuring to God. But I have to trust God and His plans so that He can grow me spiritually. And the direction that He's taken me, not my direction. Because it's about the journey that we take, not the destination. It's about that journey of the heart that we have. And most of us are taking that journey. And when we take that journey, that journey is a step of faith. But that step of faith is not into darkness. It's into the light. It's into God's light. That's what we do when we take a step of faith. God wants us to trust him even when things don't look good. Because he will use everything for his glory. Every little thing. And even when we don't see it and we don't feel it, we've sang that song how many times, but do we believe that? Do we believe that God is still working all the time? We do. And for me, like an old sheep, remember Joey got me down here, I'm, I'm the old man in the Old Testament because of the gray hair. Yeah, for me, many times I've had to reach out to that shepherd in those dark days, in those dark nights, because I still need to feel the touch of God's comforting presence in my life. We need that, no matter what we're going through. Each new situation for the Hebrews is only bringing out the worst in them. They were complaining to Moses and what a hard job Moses had, right? How hard a job could it have been? Every time they went around a corner or a bend, they were complaining and wanting to go and complain to Moses. You know, Moses is doing what he does best as a leader. And all of us, we should do is call upon the Lord. He's crying out to the Lord. And Moses was a little anxious and just wanted to know what's the best thing to do under these circumstances. And that's what our hearts should be too. Asking God, what's the best thing to do under these circumstances? Because I can't do it on my own. But these Israelites, their passions were sharpened by their appetites and their hunger and their thirst. They were violent and they were impatient. Their desires were making them unruly. It was their fleshly desires, those natural desires, because they were walking in the flesh and not in the spirit. 
And we need to walk in the Spirit. They quarreled with him, and they were saying, we should have went back to Egypt instead of thanking him for delivering them. How many times do we forget to thank God for what he's delivered us from? He's delivered us from so many things. And sometimes we still want to complain. And one of the things that we do sometimes, we look for a scapegoat, don't we? Somebody else's fault. Somebody else did this. And that's what they're telling Moses. Moses, we know you brought us out. We know God has done this, but we're thirsty. So we're turning on you. In the Bible, David, he thought he was going to get stoned as well. In 1 Samuel 36, when they lost their families and their possessions were gone, it says David was greatly distressed because the men were talking about stoning him. How does turning on anybody solve a problem? Remember, they turned on Jesus as well, did they not? They wanted to stone him as well. In John 8, 59, it says this, At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. But they did stone Stephen, didn't they? The point I like to make, if you read 12, Romans 12, 21, is this. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Turn to Jesus and people instead of turning on them. Turn to people instead of turning on them. We're called to love our brothers and sisters as ourselves. Don't turn on them when things get tough. Turn to them. God wants us to turn to him as well. But these people weren't turning to God. They were turning on Moses. And Scripture tells us in Psalms 46, it says this, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. The reality is that we will go through difficult times, but God promises to be our refuge. When buildings crumble and our world is shaken and there is no water to drink, God has not failed us. He has promised to be with us in the middle of whatever we're going through. God is our safe place, our retreat, the place we go when we're afraid. And there's a lot of fear going on right now, isn't there? There's a lot of fear but God is our strength and he's our power. This is the same power that Jesus talks about in Acts 1.8 when he says he promises us to give us power with the coming of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Let's claim that power. Let's claim the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives and live by that power. All who live by faith and prayer live a life dependent upon God. And back to our scripture in verse 5. It says this. The Lord answered Moses, Go out in front of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff which wills you will strike the Nile and go. And right now, God, what he's doing, he's showing that it's a symbol of his power because he's the creator of the heavens and earth. And it says, I will stand there before you by the rock of Herob. Strike the rock in the water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called this place Messiah the Meribim, because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or 
not. So let me ask you a question. Is testing the Lord a good thing? It's not, is it? Does everybody know where the one place in the Bible that it tells us to test the Lord? One place. Where? Malachi. Malachi, it tells, test me on this, and I bring the full tithe into the storehouse, and I will pour out the heavens to you. So if you ever want to test the Lord, test him on that. Don't test him on other things. It may not turn out the way you'd like, okay? So, but they were questioning God. They were saying, is God with us? Is this Jehovah, what he called himself among us now? This is the name he gave them while they were in Egypt. And they called this the tempting of God. Was he with them? Did he show them enough proof of his power and his goodness? He did. He was taking care of their, all their needs. He was taking care of them. But the people complained and they're saying, is the Lord among us? Do we do that? Do we ever cry out? When we have the Lord, the Holy Spirit living in us, he's right there with us. But Moses now, Moses cries out to the Lord. And when Moses cries out, it's like, okay, what's going to happen here? But God didn't send down a lightning to wipe them out for complaining, did he? They probably deserved it. He could have done that. But God simply told Moses what to do. He says, strike the rock. That's it. Strike the rock. And Moses obeyed. God is telling Moses, don't turn on the people and strike them, but turn and strike the rock. And that rock is Jesus Christ. That's our rock, the stream of living water that comes from him. This miracle is just like all the miracles that God has been doing, but they have been complaining all along the way. God was with them the whole time. He is so gracious and so generous to us. But what do we do? We miss sight of it and we complain. Sometimes during our journey, we miss. We are so focused on the destination, which is ourselves. We miss seeing God along the journey. We miss all the things that God is doing with us right now because we're so focused on ourselves. God was demonstrating to his people that he would take care of all their needs. And I always like to remember the miracle of the wine at the wedding, right? In the book of John. There's a great takeaway from that. When the wine comes out at the end, when Jesus does that miracle, what he's saying is the kingdom of God is so generous and so gracious. And that's what he was doing. Because the kingdom of God is that. God provides his best. Maybe not when we want it, but when we need it. A gracious God providing water, meeting the needs of a complaining people. So for us, I think the application is that perhaps the greatest miracle performed by Moses was this, by striking the rock. In many aspects, it bore the resemblance of the greatest miracle done by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 10, 4, it says this, And all of them drank the same spiritual water, for they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them. The rock was Christ. 
Christ is always with us. He travels along the journey with us each and every day. The Holy Spirit lives in us as we drink this spiritual water. We will never thirst again. And that's what the kingdom of God is all about. His grace and his generosity providing for all our needs. And what is our greatest need? Our greatest need is forgiveness. And God provided that through his son, Jesus Christ. He became the ultimate proof that God will provide for each and every one of our needs and our welfare. Just like the woman at the well. Whosoever drinks of this water shall never thirst again. This well of water springing up into everlasting life. Jesus has provided a way for all of us on the cross. What we need to do is we need to receive him and drink from that spiritual rock, the water that Jesus Christ gives us. The water that Jesus gives us is, quenches our spiritual thirst and helps us know who God is and the knowledge of him. Life is about growing in our faith. It's about growing in our trust with God and the knowledge of who he is during this journey. It's a journey of our hearts. God wants us to know his character, and he wants to change our hearts. He wants us to grow, not just live our lives, but he wants us to live our lives for others as well. He wants us to tell people about Jesus, what he's done for us, and so that we can tell them about the kingdom of God. But if we're not just doing that and we're just complaining, we're wasting the opportunity to be with God right now here on earth. We're wasting that opportunity. Don't waste that opportunity. And we see that the Israelites are wasting that opportunity. They're a long ways off becoming that godly nation. And I know that I have a long way to go as well. And sometimes each new situation or a new circumstances can bring out either the best in me or the worst in me. But for them, it was bringing out the worst. They wanted to turn back. That's the worst thing we can do. With no water, was bringing out the worst of them, going back on their journey instead of going forward with God. Moving forward with him. They'd been through this before, had they not? And they failed the test. They failed this miserably. And now God is testing them again. Does God ever test you? Test us all the time. How do we make out in that? You don't have to answer. That's the heart check thing. Look in your heart. How does that go? But God proved to them that he would provide everything, but they still quarreled. And the reason I believe they quarreled is because their hearts weren't right. Our hearts need to be fully surrendered to God's will. You need to be fully surrendered. We, we sing that song, but do we really do that? Do we really surrender our lives? Do we lay our lives down for that? What these people did was their hearts were still in Egypt or their hearts were still in the world. That's not where God wants our hearts to be along this journey. He wants them surrendered to him. They were failing this test. They wanted to go back. And really what they were doing is they had no gratitude for what God had done for them. And they had unbelief for what God was going to do for them. 
Sometimes I can put myself in that situation. But we must live with the expectation of what God is going to do in our lives. Taking us out of the darkness, bringing us into the light. We were dead in sin, now we're alive in Christ. Think about that. Moving forward, God allows us to encounter our growth spiritually, but it allows us to get closer in our relationship with God. It's our choice, our attitudes, it's our heart condition that determines whether we will complain and start blaming people or we will turn to God and we will grow spiritually. Even though we go through these things, in James 1, verses 12 through 15, it says this, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood a test, that person will receive a crown of life that the Lord has promised those who love him. God's going to test us. We're going to get tested all the time. When we trust God and we have a relationship with him and we surrender our hearts to him, he will get us through those situations spiritually. But when we're out of fellowship with him and we're bitter and we're complaining and we're indifferent, we will do dumb things and sometimes we will do stupid things. And when we do stupid things, we will get the stupid prize. Remember that. I've done it. I've got that stupid prize. You don't want it, okay? And all these things usually makes everything worse. So let's go on. In verse 8, it says this. The Balakites came and attacked the Israelites at Rebidim. Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out and fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. While they were encamped here, the Hebrews were attacked by this group of fierce armed raiders, the tribe of Amalekite. And the people located in the desert, they were people located between Canaan and Egypt. And the writer of Deuteronomy puts it like this, Deuteronomy 25, verse 17, it says, Never forget the Amalekites did to you as they came from Egypt. They attacked you when you were exhausted and weary, and they struck down those who were staggering behind. They had no fear of God. Does that not sound like our enemy? Right? They were exhausted, and they were weary, and he came from behind. That's our enemy. When we're tired and we're weak, the enemy's always there. Every time the Amalekites are mentioned in the Bible, they speak of this ongoing war, and this ongoing war is with our flesh. They attacked them, they ambushed them from behind. And isn't that the tactic of the flesh? Isn't that it? Instead of being up front, they came from behind. This attack was probably over territorial rights, and I think they probably were right. The territorial rights were the kingdom of God or the world. And they were trying to take on the world, and God wants us to fight for the kingdom of God to advance his kingdom. They were trying to intimidate them, and that's what the enemy does to us each and every day. And God's telling them, if you try to fight them, this enemy, on your own strength, you will lose. You will lose. And now after this attack, Moses asked a man named Joshua to get an army together to stage a counterattack. There was no indication that he had ever fought a battle before. 
But Moses was telling him, you go out there and fight, and I'll be at the top of this hill with the staff of God, and, I'll be with, and God will be with you. What he was telling him was, Joshua, be confident that God is with you. God would take his people, and he was aware of their dryness after crying out to them, and he would empower them with the fresh water of the Holy Spirit. If you're going through the desert season and you have the reasons to ask God or you might be craving more for him, in Matthew 5, 6, it says this, blessed are the hungry and thirst for righteousness. Jesus says that they will be filled. Who's filled? The one who hungers, the one who thirsts, and the one who longs for that water. And then in verse 10, it says this, so Joshua fought the Amalekites, and Moses had, as Moses had ordered. And Moses and Aaron and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and one on the other. So that this hands remained steadily till unset, sunset. Then Joshua overcame the Amalekites' army with the sword. So Joshua engages them in this battle. Now, this is the first battle that we hear about Joshua doing, but Joshua has plenty more triumphs. I want to ask you guys a real quick question. Do you know who else in the Bible besides Adam and Eve does not have parents, earthly parents. Do you guys know? Nobody knows? Well, it's found in Exodus 33, 11. It says, after Moses returned to the camp, but the young man who assisted him, Joshua, son of Nun. Uh. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. But Joshua, he was the son of Nun, so he didn't have any parents, okay? That's the way I read it. Maybe I misinterpreted it, but it's all good. But later, Joshua would have some great triumphs. But Moses acted as the standard bearer of Israel. He was their intercessor. He was praying for their success and the victory. Moses and Aaron and this guy named Hur, which we never heard of him, were at the top of the hill. They watched the battle. And as long as Moses had his arms raised high, they were winning, realizing that he had to continually hold that rod up during the battle. How do we understand what's going on right now in the scripture? How does holding up his hands make a difference? Well, the significance or the relationship between the uplifting Moses's rod and the defeating of the Malachites was, was it a superstition? I mean, if we, we always say, oh, if we do this, it's going to work, right? Or was it some kind of magic? The answer is no. It was not. The significance was the upraised arms of Moses speaks of prayer. He's praying. As long as their attention and their dependence and their allegiance were directed toward God, they were winning. In 1 Timothy 2.8, it says this, Therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands. That's what we need to do. We need to lift up holy hands. This text tells us, 
As long as their sights were on God and they subjected themselves to prayer, they would prevail and they would not fall. In this victory, the Hebrews reminded again that the ability to overcome every threatening attack was directly connected to their faith and their dependence on God, and that goes for us as well. Our direct relationship and dependence on God will get us through this. Our dependence on prayer and our relationship with God, the other important part of this, there's a simple fact there. Moses could not do this. He could not hold his arms up on his own. If you guys have ever been in worship holding up your arms, how long can you hold them up? Not long, right? We can't hold them up long. But what he had was he had support from Aaron and her, and he was able to do that. I think the most important truth in this verse is very simple, that as we work at being effective and productive Christ followers, we cannot remain faithful and spiritually strong if we attempt to live out our relationship with God in isolation. We can't do this alone. We have to have our brothers and sisters. Their journey in faith is always made with the community of brothers and sisters in Christ. Always. We need each other for support each day and encouragement until the end of that day or the victory is won. Even Paul, the Apostle Paul, took companions with him when he was on his missionary journeys. He needed support and he needed counsel. And we all need that as well. We need to have quiet time with God to fulfill our our spiritual needs and our growth and our mission. But as Christ followers, we need the presence and support of other people in our lives. We just don't do this alone. And then in verse 14, it says this. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered. And make sure that Joshua hears it, because I will completely blot out the name of the Malachi from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it to the Lord. This is my banner. He said, because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord, the Lord will be at war against the Malachites from generation to generation. When the battle was finally won, God instructed Moses to record this. He wanted everyone to know for all generations that the battle was not won with the sword. The battle is not won with the sword. I think about Jesus when he was in the garden, when Peter swipes off the ear, right? And Jesus puts the ear back because it's not won with the sword. The battle is won through prayer and intercession. That's how we win the battle. Sometimes we think that if we're skilled in our speech and in our reading of scriptures and we love and we do all these different things that we're going to see our family or our friends or our neighbors come to the saving grace of the Lord. But it's not true. Prayer. Prayer is what does that. The Holy Spirit moves. But this scripture tells us the battle is won. The battle is won when we're on our knees in prayer. We have never stood taller or stronger than we're on our knees praying to our Lord. Prayer is important because we've all heard this. Prayer changes things. I think that's half of it. I think that's half because prayer does change things. But I think a better saying is this. Faith changes things. Prayer changes me.
And that's what we're looking for. We're looking for that heart change, that journey. Winning is good, but God wants us to win, win our hearts in a deeper way. And that's what prayer is about. It's not about seeing the change in other people, but it's about seeing the change in us. It's about our journey, our heart, and our faith. It's about seeing the things that we change. Not about changing circumstances, but it's about an engagement with the Holy Spirit and the expansion of our heart in the advancement of God's kingdom to glorify God. That's what it's all about. Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Sebastian podcast channel. If this message impacted your life, we encourage you to share it with a friend. We're located at 1251 Sebastian Boulevard, just northeast of Intersection 90th Avenue and State Road 512 in Sebastian, Florida. Our service times are Saturday evening at 6 p.m., Sunday morning at 1045 a.m., and Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Welcome to Calvary Chapel Sebastian Podcast. We hope that you're blessed by this message. Welcome, everybody. I want to welcome you here tonight, everybody joining us. And if you're on our podcast channel, um, we're glad that you're here. Um, tonight, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 17. And to give you a little bit of a strip description about what's going on, is the Israelites are moving towards Mount Sinai. And They've had this pillar of cloud and the fire with them, which showed God's presence to them. And they're on this journey. They're hitting all these different stops along the way. So tonight, we're going to see about another one. Last week, we saw how God prepared the hearts of the Israelites by humbling them, letting them hunger, feeding them generously, and then by teaching them. And that's what God was telling them, that man does not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So tonight, as we start, we'll be in chapter 17. But I want to ask you guys a question. How many of you have ever gone on a long trip and you've drove for how many miles? And you're driving and you're getting hungry and you're getting thirsty and you got other things going on. Maybe you need to use the facilities, right? So not only you're doing this, so now you stop someplace, you get there, you run out, you take care of it, and then you get there and all of a sudden the vending machines are empty. The drinking fountain is broke. No food, no water along that trip. Well, that's what's happened to the Israelites right now. As they go into uh, Rephidim, they're going to be there and there's no water for them at all. So I just wanted you to kind of imagine how that is, because if you've ever done that, you know what that is. When you get someplace and you're really thirsty, and there's nothing there for you to drink. So if you would, open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 17, and we will start there. And it says this, The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from a place to place as the Lord commanded them. They camped at Rephidim, but there, there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water. 
And then they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord and said, what am I to do with these people? They are already, they're almost ready to stone me. So, at this point, we're going to look at this. They've been moving along. Everything is going very well. God has been providing for them. Remember, they've had this cloud during the day and the fire at night, which showed God's presence with them all the time. But they're still questioning this. They're questioning whether God is with them. And sometimes I think we do that as well, don't we? But this area was very dry and it was very barren. There was no water. And sometimes we feel like God is not with us in difficult situations. I know that I do. But there was no water, and this was going to be a great trial for the Israelites. But because God is always with us, his word tells us this in Psalms 23, 4. It says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, and that's where they probably felt like they were at, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. God was still with them, and he's with us today. Our Lord was directing the Israelites into this trying situation. Sometimes he directs us towards these situations, and I believe for one reason is growth. He directs us there so we can grow. And these trials, they bring us to a point where it's a trial of our faith. When we get to this point, it's a trial of our faith because only God can bring us through it. And that's what this is. And scripture says also in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, it says this, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you can imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth's, so my ways are higher than yours and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. See, we can't even imagine what God's thinking and why he's bringing us to these situations. But life is more than getting somewhere. It's more than just the destination because that's what they're looking at. They're looking at the destination, where we're going to get to. But God is looking at our hearts. We're looking at our destination or our comforts. God is looking at our heart. God is looking at this journey of our hearts with him. It's about a journey of growth and faith. It's about a heart check. We all need to check our hearts. And these people had a long way to go on their journey before they would arrive at their destination and become a godly nation. It seems like the Hebrew people were always kind of foolish, a little fickle, but they were definitely non-trusting. And I, don't think, I believe they were a people of little faith. What about all the miracles that there were there, the plagues, all the things, this great rescue from Egypt, the parting of the Red Sea? And what about when they were being fed, right? The chicken and waffles, right? They're getting fed chicken and waffles. They're getting food each and every day. God was providing for them. And you would think that they would never 
questioned God's faithfulness in meeting their needs. But they doubted. And not only did they doubt, they complained. And they complained loudly. They were indifferent to God's kindness and his faithfulness to them. They had such unbelief in all the provisions that he's been giving them that they were testing him and they were challenging whether he was even with them. And for me tonight, I have to check myself on that one. I have to look at myself because I've cried out to God and asked for reassurance in situations many times. I don't know if you have, but I definitely have. I remember the story when we first moved down here. My kids had graduated. Um, we took all our money out of savings. We sold everything, and we came down to Florida. We only had a couple personal items and some clothes, and we moved here. I didn't have a job. I had a very small house. I didn't have anything in it. And on the weekends, we went garage sailing to fill that house up with whatever we could get. And it took a while to get a job. But for me, what I did was I complained. I wanted to go back up north. I kept on telling Cindy, I want to go back. I want to go back up. And this was bringing out the worst in me. And sometimes trying times can do that to us, can't they? They can bring out the worst. Because I had a wilderness experience in Palm Bay. Okay? I was in Palm Bay. That's a wilderness experience. But yet God supplied every one of our needs. Every one of them. We never missed a house payment. Now after 22 years, God has blessed us in so many ways. We have our grandchildren living here with us. We live in a great community here with you all here in Sebastian. And we are so blessed. God has been so faithful. But I must confess that I was a doubter. And sometimes I still am. When things don't go the way I want them to go, when money gets tough, I find myself murmuring. My job's not going right, or my health isn't where I want it to be. I find myself murmuring to God. But I have to trust God in his plans so that he can grow me spiritually. And the direction that he's taken me, not my direction. Because it's about the journey that we take, not the destination. It's about that journey of the heart that we have. And most of us are taking that journey. And when we take that journey, that journey is a step of faith. But that step of faith is not into darkness. It's into the light. It's into God's light. That's what we do when we take a step of faith. God wants us to trust him even when things don't look good. Because he will use everything for his glory. Every little thing. And even when we don't see it and we don't feel it, we've sang that song how many times, but do we believe that? Do we believe that God is still working all the time? We do. And for me, like an old sheep, remember Joey got me down here, I'm, I'm the old man in the Old Testament because of the gray hair. Yeah, for me, many times I've had to reach out to that shepherd in those dark days, in those dark nights, because I still need to feel the touch of God's comforting presence in my life. We need that. 
no matter what we're going through. Each new situation for the Hebrews is only bringing out the worst in them. They were complaining to Moses. And what a hard job Moses had, right? How hard a job could it have been? Every time they went around a corner or a bend, they were complaining and wanting to go and complain to Moses. You know, Moses is doing what he does best as a leader. And all of us, we should do is call upon the Lord. He's crying out to the Lord. And Moses was a little anxious and just wanted to know what's the best thing to do under these circumstances. And that's what our hearts should be too. Asking God, what's the best thing to do under these circumstances? Because I can't do it on my own. But these Israelites, their passions were sharpened by their appetites and their hunger and their thirst. They were violent and they were impatient. Their desires were making them unruly. It was their fleshly desires, those natural desires, because they were walking in the flesh and not in the spirit. And we need to walk in the spirit. They quarreled with him, and they were saying, we should have went back to Egypt instead of thanking him for delivering them. How many times do we forget to thank God for what he's delivered us from? He's delivered us from so many things. And sometimes we still want to complain. And one of the things that we do sometimes, we look for a scapegoat, don't we? Somebody else's fault. Somebody else did this. And that's what they're telling Moses. Moses, we know you brought us out. We know God has done this, but we're thirsty. So we're turning on you. In the Bible, David, he thought he was going to get stoned as well. In 1 Samuel 36, when they lost their families and their possessions were gone, it says David was greatly distressed because the men were talking about stoning him. How does turning on anybody solve a problem? Remember, they turned on Jesus as well, did they not? They wanted to stone him as well. In John 8, 59, it says this, At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. But they did stone Stephen, didn't they? The point I'd like to make, if you read 12, Romans 12, 21, is this. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Turn to Jesus and people instead of turning on them. Turn to people instead of turning on them. We're called to love our brothers and sisters as ourselves. Don't turn on them when things get tough. Turn to them. God wants us to turn to him as well. But these people weren't turning to God. They were turning on Moses. And scripture tells us in Psalms 46, it says this, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. The reality is that we will go through difficult times, but God promises to be our refuge. When buildings crumble and our world is shaken and there is no water to drink, God has not failed us. He has promised to be with us in the middle of whatever we're going through. God is our safe place, our retreat, the place we go when we're afraid. And there's a lot of fear going on right now, isn't there? There's a lot of fear. 
But God is our strength and he's our power. This is the same power that Jesus talks about in Acts 1.8 when he says he promises us to give us power with the coming of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Let's claim that power. Let's claim the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives and live by that power. All who live by faith and prayer live a life dependent upon God. And back to our scripture in verse 5. It says this. The Lord answered Moses, Go out in front of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff which wills you will strike the Nile and go. And right now, God, what he's doing, he's showing that it's a symbol of his power because he's the creator of the heavens and earth. And it says, I will stand there before you by the rock of Herob. Strike the rock in the water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called this place Messiah the Meribah, because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? So let me ask you a question. Is testing the Lord a good thing? It's not, is it? Does everybody know where the one place in the Bible that it tells us to test the Lord? One place. Where? Malachi. Malachi, it tells, test me on this, and I bring the full tithe into the storehouse, and I will pour out the heavens to you. So if you ever want to test the Lord, test him on that. Don't test him on other things. It may not turn out the way you'd like, okay? So, but they were questioning God. They were saying, is God with us? Is this Jehovah, what he called himself among us now? This is the name he gave them while they were in Egypt. And they called this the tempting of God. Was he with them? Did he show them enough proof of his power and his goodness? He did. He was taking care of their, all their needs. He was taking care of them. But the people complain and they're saying, is the Lord among us? Do we do that? Do we ever cry out? When we have the Lord, the Holy Spirit living in us, he's right there with us. But Moses now, Moses cries out to the Lord. And when Moses cries out, it's like, okay, what's going to happen here? But God didn't send down a lightning to wipe them out for complaining, did he? They probably deserved it. He could have done that. But God simply told Moses what to do. He says, strike the rock. That's it. Strike the rock. And Moses obeyed. God is telling Moses, don't turn on the people and strike them, but turn and strike the rock. And that rock is Jesus Christ. That's our rock. The stream of living water that comes from him. This miracle is just like all the miracles that God has been doing, but they have been complaining all along the way. God was with them the whole time. He is so gracious and so generous to us. But what do we do? We miss sight of it and we complain. Sometimes during our journey, we miss. We are so focused on the destination, which is ourselves. We miss seeing God along the journey. We miss 
all the things that God is doing with us right now because we're so focused on ourselves. God was demonstrating to his people that he would take care of all their needs. And I always like to remember the miracle of the wine at the wedding, right? In the book of John, there's a great takeaway from that. When the wine comes out at the end, when Jesus does that miracle, what he's saying is the kingdom of God is so generous and so gracious. And that's what he was doing. Because the kingdom of God is that. God provides his best, maybe not when we want it, but when we need it. A gracious God providing water, meeting the needs of a complaining people. So for us, I think the application is that perhaps the greatest miracle performed by Moses was this, by striking the rock. In many aspects, it bore the resemblance of a greatest miracle done by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 10, 4, it says this, And all of them drank the same spiritual water, for they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them. The rock was Christ. Christ is always with us. He travels along the journey with us each and every day. The Holy Spirit lives in us as we drink this spiritual water. We will never thirst again. And that's what the kingdom of God is all about. His grace and his generosity providing for all our needs. And what is our greatest need? Our greatest need is forgiveness. And God provided that through his son, Jesus Christ. He became the ultimate proof that God will provide for each and every one of our needs and our welfare just like the woman at the well. Whosoever drinks of this water shall never thirst again, this well of water springing up into everlasting life. Jesus has provided a way for all of us on the cross. What we need to do is we need to receive him and drink from that spiritual rock, the water that Jesus Christ gives us. The water that Jesus gives us is quenches our spiritual thirst and helps us know who God is and the knowledge of him. Life is about growing in our faith. It's about growing in our trust with God and the knowledge of who he is during this journey. It's a journey of our hearts. God wants us to know his character and he wants to change our hearts. He wants us to grow, not just live our lives but he wants us to live our lives for others as well. He wants us to tell people about Jesus, what he's done for us, and so that we can tell them about the kingdom of God. But if we're not just doing that and we're just complaining, we're wasting the opportunity to be with God right now here on earth. We're wasting that opportunity. Don't waste that opportunity. And we see that the Israelites are wasting that opportunity. They're a long ways off becoming that godly nation. And I know that I have a long way to go as well. And sometimes each new situation or our new circumstances can bring out either the best in me or the worst in me. But for them, it was bringing out the worst. They wanted to turn back. 
That's the worst thing we can do. With no water was bringing out the worst of them going back on their journey instead of going forward with God. Moving forward with him. They'd been through this before, had they not? And they failed the test. They failed this miserably. And now God is testing them again. Does God ever test you? Test us all the time. How do we make out in that? You don't have to answer. That's the heart check thing. Look in your heart. How does that go? But God proved to them that he would provide everything, but they still quarreled. And the reason I believe they quarreled is because their hearts weren't right. Our hearts need to be fully surrendered to God's will. You need to be fully surrendered. We, we sing that song, but do we really do that? Do we really surrender our lives? Do we lay our lives down for that? What these people did was their hearts were still in Egypt or their hearts were still in the world. That's not where God wants our hearts to be along this journey. He wants them surrendered to him. They were failing this test. They wanted to go back. And really what they were doing is they had no gratitude for what God had done for them. And they had unbelief for what God was going to do for them. Sometimes I can put myself in that situation. But we must live with the expectation of what God is going to do in our lives. Taking us out of the darkness, bringing us into the light. We were dead in sin, now we're alive in Christ. Think about that. Moving forward, God allows us to encounter our growth spiritually, but it allows us to get closer in our relationship with God. It's our choice, our attitudes, it's our heart condition that determines whether we will complain and start blaming people or we will turn to God and we will grow spiritually. Even though we go through these things, in James 1, verses 12 through 15, it says this, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood a test, that person will receive a crown of life that the Lord has promised those who love him. God's going to test us. We're going to get tested all the time. When we trust God and we have a relationship with him and we surrender our hearts to him, he will get us through those situations spiritually. But when we're out of fellowship with him and we're bitter and we're complaining and we're indifferent, we will do dumb things and sometimes we will do stupid things. And when we do stupid things, we will get the stupid prize. Remember that. I've done it. I've got that stupid prize. You don't want it, okay? And all these things usually makes everything Worse. So let's go on. In verse 8, it says this. The Balakites came and attacked the Israelites at Rebidim. Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out and fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. While they were encamped here, the Hebrews were attacked by this group of fierce armed raiders, the tribe of Amalekites. And the people located in the desert, they were people located between Canaan and Egypt. And the writer of Deuteronomy puts it like this, Deuteronomy 25, verse 17. It says, never forget the Malachites did to you as they came from Egypt. They attacked you when you were exhausted and weary, and they struck down those who were staggering behind. They had no fear of God. 
Does that not sound like our enemy? Right? They were exhausted and they were weary and he came from behind. That's our enemy. When we're tired and we're weak, the enemy's always there. Every time the Amalekites are mentioned in the Bible, they speak of this ongoing war, and this ongoing war is with our flesh. They attacked them, they ambushed them from behind. And isn't that the tactic of the flesh? Isn't that it? Instead of being up front, they came from behind. This attack was probably over territorial rights. And I think they probably were right. The territorial rights were the kingdom of God or the world. And they were trying to take on the world. And God wants us to fight for the kingdom of God to advance his kingdom. They were trying to intimidate them. And that's what the enemy does to us each and every day. And God's telling them, if you try to fight them, this enemy, on your own strength, you will lose. You will lose. And now after this attack, Moses asked a man named Joshua to get an army together to stage a counterattack. There was no indication that he had ever fought a battle before. But Moses was telling him, you go out there and fight, and I'll be at the top of this hill with the staff of God, and, I'll be and God will be with you. What he was telling him was, Joshua, be confident that God is with you. God would take his people, and he was aware of their dryness after crying out to them, and he would empower them with the fresh water of the Holy Spirit. If you're going through the desert season and you have the reasons to ask God or you might be craving more for him, in Matthew 5, 6, it says this, blessed are the hungry and thirst for righteousness. Jesus says that they will be filled. Who's filled? The one who hungers, the one who thirsts, and the one who longs for that water. And then in verse 10, it says this, so Joshua fought the Malachites, and Moses had, as Moses had ordered. And Moses and Aaron and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Malachites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and one on the other so that this hands remained steadily till unset, sunset. Then Joshua overcame the Amalekites' army with the sword. So Joshua engages them in this battle. Now, this is the first battle that we hear about Joshua doing, but Joshua has plenty more triumphs. I want to ask you guys a quite, real quick question. Do you know who else in the Bible besides Adam and Eve does not have parents, earthly parents. Do you guys know? Nobody knows? Well, it's found in Exodus 33, 11. It says, after Moses returned to the camp, but the young man who assisted him, Joshua, son of Nun. Oh. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. But Joshua, he was the son of none, so he didn't have any parents, okay? That's the way I read it. Maybe I misinterpreted it, but it's all good. But later, Joshua would have some great triumphs. But Moses acted as the standard bearer 
of Israel. He was their intercessor. He was praying for their success and the victory. Moses and Aaron and this guy named Hur, which we never heard of him, were at the top of the hill. They watched the battle. And as long as Moses had his arms raised high, they were winning. Realizing that he had to continually hold that rod up during the battle. How do we understand what's going on right now in the scripture? How does holding up his hands make a difference? Well, the significance or the relationship between the uplifting Moses' rod and the defeating of the Malachites was, was it a superstition? I mean, if we, we always say, oh, if we do this, it's going to work, right? Or was it some kind of magic? The answer is no. It was not. The significance was the upraised arms of Moses speaks of prayer. He's praying. As long as their attention and their dependence and their allegiance were directed toward God, they were winning. In 1 Timothy 2.8, it says this, Therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands. That's what we need to do. We need to lift up holy hands. This text tells us as long as their sights were on God and they subjected themselves to prayer, they would prevail and they would not fall. In this victory, the Hebrews reminded again that the ability to overcome every threatening attack was directly connected to their faith and their dependence on God, and that goes for us as well. Our direct relationship and dependence on God will get us through this. Our dependence on prayer and our relationship with God, the other important part of this, there's a simple fact there. Moses could not do this. He could not hold his arms up on his own. If you guys have ever been in worship holding up your arms, how long can you hold them up? Not long, long, right? We can't hold them up long. But what he had was he had support from Aaron and her, and he was able to do that. I think the most important truth in this verse is very simple, that as we work at being effective and productive Christ followers, we cannot remain faithful and spiritually strong if we attempt to live out our relationship with God in isolation. We can't do this alone. We have to have our brothers and sisters. The journey in faith is always made with the community of brothers and sisters in Christ. Always. We need each other for support each day and encouragement until the end of that day or the victory is won. Even Paul, the Apostle Paul, took companions with him when he was on his missionary journeys. He needed support and he needed counsel. And we all need that as well. We need to have quiet time with God to fulfill our our spiritual needs and our growth and our mission. But as Christ followers, we need the presence and support of other people in our lives. We just don't do this alone. And then in verse 14, it says this. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the name of the Malachi from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it to the Lord. This is my banner. He said, because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord, the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. When the battle was finally won, 
God instructed Moses to record this. He wanted everyone to know for all generations that the battle was not won with the sword. The battle is not won with the sword. I think about Jesus when he's in the garden, when Peter swipes off the ear, right? And Jesus puts the ear back because it's not won with the sword. The battle is won through prayer and intercession. That's how we win the battle. Sometimes we think that if we're skilled in our speech and in our reading of scriptures and we love and we do all these different things that we're going to see our family or our friends or our neighbors come to the saving grace of the Lord. But it's not true. Prayer. Prayer is what does that. The Holy Spirit moves. But this scripture tells us the battle is won. The battle is won when we're on our knees in prayer. We have never stood taller or stronger than we're on our knees praying to our Lord. Prayer is important because we've all heard this. Prayer changes things. I think that's half of it. I think that's half because prayer does change things. But I think a better saying is this. Faith changes things. Prayer changes me. And that's what we're looking for. We're looking for that heart change, that journey. Winning is good, but God wants us to win, win our hearts in a deeper way. And that's what prayer is about. It's not about seeing the change in other people, but it's about seeing the change in us. It's about our journey, our heart, and our faith. It's about seeing the things that we change. Not about changing circumstances, but it's about an engagement with the Holy Spirit and the expansion of our heart in the advancement of God's kingdom to glorify God. That's what it's all about. Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Sebastian podcast channel. If this message impacted your life, we encourage you to share it with a friend. We're located at 1251 Sebastian Boulevard, just northeast of Intersection 90th Avenue and State Road 512 in Sebastian, Florida. Our service times are Saturday evening at 6 p.m., Sunday morning at 1045 a.m., and Wednesdays at 630 p.m.